To those of you joining us online, we say welcome. It's so good to have you spend part of your week with us. I'll get out of your way in a second. Thanks, brother. Man, to those of you in the room, thank you so much for being with us. And Pastor Cody already echoed this, but I just want to take a minute to say thank you. Thank you to those of you that have given. Thank you to those of you that have faithfully fulfilled the pledges that you've made. Thank you to those of you that have shown up at our work days by the hundreds to roll up your sleeves and to make a difference in our next step. And I'm telling you, you are making a difference. There's no small job in the kingdom of God. Every one of them matters an equal amount, and it's such an honor to see the church coming together, pulling on the same rope, and getting us ready for our next step. So thank you so much. I'm going to preach a message today that I I went back in the archive, and I preached it the last Sunday that I preached in our very first building before we moved into this building, and I believe it served us pretty well over the last five years in seeing God move. And so it's an oldie, but a goodie. And I don't do that, but I just felt like the same heartbeat, the same DNA is flowing in and through this place today. How many of you know that we have a tendency to be obsessed? We have a tendency to get really obsessed with different things in our lives. Like, my, my family's a perfect example. My oldest son, Collier, he's 10, and he is obsessed with sports. He loves to play. He loves to think about it. He loves to strategize about it. Like, game day at my house, I mean, we're like long-tailed cats in rooms full of rocking chairs. I mean, it's like, I mean, it's just, it's anxious. We're talking about it before. We're talking about it after. Like, we're breaking it. He loves it. He's obsessed with it. My little girl, Ava, she's playing basketball, but she's not obsessed with sports. She's obsessed with, like, like fashion and, and facial routines. I didn't even know that was a thing. It, but, like, facial routines and all of these different things. And then my youngest son, Ben, he, he's obsessed. He's obsessed with fighting wolverines in back alleys. <laughs> and and my, my wife, Kristen, she's, she's obsessed. She's obsessed with me. All of us have a tendency to be obsessed with something. Our obsessions, they they sometimes change or they shift, but we all have things that we become obsessed with. So today, we're going to talk about what matters most because we want to be obsessed with the things that matter most in the kingdom of God. And it's important that we talk about this because our obsessions can pull us to God or cause us to drift from him. So we want to have kingdom-minded obsessions. And we're going to look at three people in Scripture and what they were obsessed with. And I believe it will help us have kingdom-minded obsessions. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We praise you. We honor you in this place. It's such a blessing to serve the one true living king. It's such a blessing to know that the creator himself is for us, is for this church, is for our future. It's such a blessing to know that even in the midst of our failure, you are more than sufficient. So God, we submit ourselves to your word, to your will here and now today. God, I pray that you simply make us better. We say all of it in Christ's mighty name. And everybody said a great big. 
The first person we're going to look at is Solomon. To give you a little bit of context, Solomon is the son of a guy named David. And David was known as being a man after God's own heart. But Solomon is known for being the wisest man to have ever lived. He's also the wealthiest man to have ever lived. It's not Jeff Bezos. It's Solomon. He had tons of resource. He had everything from an earthly perspective that you could ever hope to have. Power, position, prestige, funding, finance, influence. And so Solomon sets out and endeavors to build a temple for God. Now, this is before Jesus came. So the temple had great meaning and influence because the temple is where the Ark of the Covenant would rest The Ark of the Covenant was the literal representation of God's presence on this earth. And Solomon has built this temple where we're going to pick up, and he is addressing the people with where they are in their next step as a community. And it says this in 1 Kings 8, 22. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord, in front of the whole assembly of Israel, spread out his hands toward heaven and said this, Lord, the God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth below. You who keep your covenant of love with your servants, who continue wholeheartedly in your way. You have kept your promise to your servant, David, my father, With your mouth you have promised, and your hand you have fulfilled as it is today. Now, Lord, the God of Israel, keep for your servant David, my father, the promises you made to him when you said, You shall never fail to have a successor to sit before me on the throne of Israel. If only your descendants are careful in all they do to walk before me faithfully as you have done. And now, God of Israel, let your word that you promised your servant David my father, come true. Now I want us to pay really close attention. Solomon is recognizing the might, the power of God. He's recognizing that God is faithful in his promises and that there is no other God. It's, it's just one. And he's recognizing that he's living in the midst of the fulfillment of God's promises. And then he says this, but will God really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heaven, cannot contain you. How much less this temple I've built. Yet, give attention to your servant's prayer and his plea for mercy, Lord my God. Hear the cry and the prayer that your servant is praying in your presence this day. And this prayer is something that I've prayed during the entire duration. Of Merge Church. May your eyes be open toward this temple night and day, this place of which you said, My name shall be there, so that you will hear the prayer your servants pray toward this place. Hear the supplication of your servant and of your people, Israel, when they pray toward this place. Hear from heaven your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. Solomon was obsessed. And he's known for building the great temple. But notice what Solomon was really obsessed with. The presence of God. He's stepping back in this moment as they're giving honor to the 
physical temple that is being built. And he's saying, listen, would, would, would God's presence really dwell on this earth, much less this temple that we have built, but God, we're praying for that. We're praying that this would be a place upon which you would shine, upon which your mercy would flow, upon which your forgiveness would come into fruition. Solomon pleads for God's presence to dwell in this specific place, while also recognizing that God cannot be limited by space or place. And you think about it, and we emphasize repeatedly that the church is not a building, that the church is the people. But I do want to take a moment and just recognize the simple truth that God does care about places. He placed Adam and Eve in the garden. He spoke his word on Mount Sinai. Jesus repeatedly went to the garden of Gethsemane so that he could connect with the Father what does it matter? Our desire should be that God's presence be in this place and in the next. We recognize that God's presence isn't confined. But I also want us to recognize here and now today this very simple truth. God's presence doesn't leave. There are moments when it may feel different there are moments when his presence may feel special or unique, but God's presence never leaves. God's presence doesn't leave. That may not seem that important, but I'm telling you, it is vitally important that you understand this biblical truth as you take your next step in your faith journey. How many of you have been married for greater than 10 years? Raise your hand. I asked greater than 10 years because, like, I don't know, there's something about getting past the decade mark. You just, like, own the faults and the failures of your marriage in a different way, right? Like, sub-10 years, like, you're still a little doughy-eyed, right? You get past 10 years, you're like, yeah, I don't know. Like, we're just two jacked-up, broken people that God somehow brought together. We're barely making it, but hey, you know? You ever get in, like, a fight with your spouse? Mm-mm. All those people fought on the way to church. <laughs> All the way here. They've been elbowing each other as we sang those lyrics. He's talk, talking to you. You, know, you, like, you, you get in a, in a fight with your spouse, and, and the truth is, you, you, I have found you actually fight with your spouse more in the early days than you do at the decade plus. Like I don't, I don't know. Maybe that's not true for you. But in the early days when you fight with your spouse, do you remember being worried about it? I didn't mean it like that. I didn't... I mean, like, worried, like, like, man, we got, we got in a fight, like, I wonder if she's going to be there when I get back worried, you know what I mean? Like, you, you're not sure, but as you progress through life and your relationship strengthens and you go through some highs and you go through some lows and you raise some kids and you go through some tough decisions and you start a few things and you finish a few things, you still fight on occasion, but you never wonder on your drive home, like, is she going to be there? You, you don't wonder. Like, I know that, that Kristen is still going to be there no matter what happens. Like, she's, she's going to still be there because she's obsessed with me, remember? 
the fact that I know that my wife is still going to be there even when things get hard is really important to our relationship. Now, it may not, I may not be received warmly. It may not feel fuzzy, but I know she's going to be there. And that brings about a relational security in our marriage that gives us an ability to go through really difficult things together. When I say that we have to recognize that God's presence never leaves, I'm saying that as a foundational element to your faith journey because you've got to know he's always with you. Like Even when it may not feel warm and fuzzy, like God doesn't just leave. He doesn't just vacate the throne, and he doesn't just vacate that spot in your life. So you can have some security in your journey with him and knowing that God's presence doesn't leave. And Solomon, man, he's, he's pleading on behalf of the people. Like, man, God, we want and value and we are obsessed with your presence. And this is remarkable to me because Solomon could have been obsessed over any number of things. He could have been obsessed with the accomplishment. He could have been obsessed with the paint color. He could have been obsessed with the size of the temple or the acoustics that they built into the exact specifications. He could have been obsessed with with any number of things, yet Solomon in this moment, being the wisest man on earth, is obsessed with one thing, the presence of God. Because he recognizes, as we sang about this morning, that there's power in the presence of God. Now, this becomes a little bit of a difficult conversation in church sometimes because Many of us have different backgrounds, and some of us come from backgrounds where there was like a big emphasis on the presence of God, and some of us come from where like that felt different or looked different. It doesn't diminish it. It doesn't make it different. So I I just want to give us all a little bit of tip because I think sometimes we hear the presence of God, and we back up, and we think like, I don't even know how to experience the presence of God. I don't even know what that means. And here's what I want us to ask ourselves, every one of us. I want you to ask, am I present? Am I present? Because God's presence never leaves. Am I present? Like, do you ever look up in, in your own living room and like your entire family is there and you were completely unaware that there was anyone else in the room? Amen. And everyone else in the room was unaware that there was anyone else in the room? Like, everybody was physically present, but they were not present. They were not engaged. They were not emotionally, relationally involved in that moment. I got to be honest. As a believer, I'll just speak for myself. There are seasons in my life when I can be like, man, God, like, where have you been? I'm, I'm out here on an island, it feels like. And every single time I get to that place, it's like there's this gut check moment in your life where somebody with some spiritual wisdom, a Solomon, comes along the way and reminds you that God's presence is always available, but I wasn't present for his presence. I was preoccupied because I was obsessed with something other than his presence. 
I was obsessed with an achievement, a position, a power, a my, a program, an I don't know what, but it wasn't the presence of God. And when you and I become obsessed with the presence of God, we come to this place where we realize his presence doesn't leave. And it gets us to a place of desperation where we desire to be present in his presence. The second person we're going to look at today is Jesus himself. Because Jesus was obsessed with God's purpose. Solomon was obsessed with God's presence and Jesus was obsessed with God's purpose. Meaning Jesus was obsessed with fulfilling the work that God had sent him to fulfill. We see it in John 4. Picking up at verse 31, it says, Meanwhile, his being Jesus, Jesus' disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Jesus always draws these lines between the practical and the spiritual. I I just picture being there like you're one of the disciples and you're like, man, like, Jesus, you're hungry. You need something to eat. You should eat. And Jesus like, no, like you don't know anything about the food that I have. I love the response, right? Did somebody... Did somebody slip off to Chick-fil-A and not tell anybody else? I didn't see it. I didn't. But I think he ate. I don't know. This is my conjecture here, so you can discount it. I just picture, like, them having this conversation, trying to have it quietly, but Jesus being Jesus hears it. And he's like, golly, boys. I can buy you books and send you to school, but I can't make you learn. And I pictured Jesus being like, guys, you missed the whole point. The food that feeds me is to fulfill the work that my father sent me to fulfill. I'm obsessed with God's purpose. I'm obsessed with fulfilling the work of the creator. It goes on in this passage a little bit, and Jesus breaks it down for them again, separating the the, the practical and the spiritual. And he's like, hey, don't you plant a harvest and have to wait four months before you even know if it worked out? And what Jesus is doing is he's drawing this representation that says for the first time since, since sin entered the world, there's opportunity for the spiritual to come into effect. Like there, There's this immediacy that is represented by the presence of Jesus coming to this earth. No longer do you have to wait to see the work fulfilled is what Jesus is saying. I am fulfilling it here and now. That's why I'm here. I'm obsessed with the work that God has sent me to do. Jesus is saying, I'm ushering in a new era where people can literally be saved and set free. And I love in Luke 19 and 10, it says, The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So notice how this works. Jesus seeks us. Jesus is looking for us. Desiring to have an encounter with those that are lost. Desiring to bring us into right relationship with the Father. Why? Because he's obsessed with the work that God has sent him. Jesus is obsessed with God's purpose. And God's purpose is his people. 
his creation. So Jesus seeks after those that are lost. So you and I as believers, when we get in the game, you know what we do? We seek after those that are lost. We become obsessed with God's presence and obsessed with God's purpose. And just like the presence of God, we got to understand something. We can't just run Jesus and his love and his forgiveness off. Jesus is not that fickle. We are his purpose. And he seeks us. He's obsessed with us. We got a dog at my house, and she's really cute. She's a French bulldog named Diamond. Yeah. Pretty bad dog name, I know. <laughs> now, I wanted the dog because I'm a dog man. Like, dog is really a man's best friend. It is true. The only one in your house that is always happy to see you, <laughs> always, is your dog. And I actually read some studies that said that a dog makes you live longer and you have a healthier life. I have no idea if it's true, but it sure felt good to use that as justification for getting this dog. Now, the challenge of getting the dog is, on occasion, because she's still young, I will hear, Jacob? Yeah. Y'all know that one? Jacob, your dog. At which point in time, I always think to myself, what did Kristen discover? Because that tone coupled with your dog is an indication that she found something awry. She found a chewed up shoe. Maybe something worse. Hopefully she didn't step in it, you know? I think there are times in our lives when we feel like Jesus, his forgiveness, his bloodshed, is like looking down from heaven and is like, Michael? And you think like, oh man, did Jesus just discover what I did? Did he figure it out finally? No, here's, here's how cool the gospel is. Jesus knew, knows and will know all of your faults and failures. And he still chose to die for your sins because he is obsessed with God's purpose, his people, and fulfilling his destiny on this earth. <clears throat> Solomon was obsessed with God's presence and Jesus was obsessed with God's purpose. And then we see this guy come along after Jesus has died on a cross and he's risen from the dead and he's ascended back to heaven named Paul. And Paul is a man that was obsessed. In Philippians 3, picking up at verse 7, Paul writes this, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain 
Christ. Paul was obsessed with God's priorities. Paul says, Jesus defines me. Jesus is my identity. Like, I want you to catch the spirit of what Paul is saying, of what matters most. Paul was super successful by all earthly standards. He had position and power and authority and respect. He was an educated man, yet he has this encounter with Jesus. And when he has this radical encounter with Jesus, it shifted his obsession from what he could achieve to what Christ could achieve through him. Paul's accounting system changed. Before he counted like, yep, my success, my success, my gain, my gain, all these other things I don't want anything to do with. But he has this encounter with Christ and he's like, no, no, no. What once was a gain is now a loss, and what once was a loss is now a gain. Everything in his life began to shift, and his priorities changed as a result of having an encounter with Jesus. You and I, when we become obsessed with God's presence and we become obsessed with God's priorities, you know what has to change? Sorry, God's presence and God's purpose, it changes our priorities. It shifts what we count as gain and what we count as loss. That's why this week has been so humbling for me to see so many people so faithfully just show up and say, like, I just want to be a part. Over the last five months, we've just seen people say, I want to be a part financially. I want to be a part with my hands, with my feet, with my mind, signing up to serve. I want to fill that, 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 that nursery. I want to make sure it's open so that kids can experience new life in Jesus Christ. Like, I just want to be a part. That's, that, that's the shift of priority. That's changing the accounting system of our life. And here's why God's presence, God's purpose, and God's priority is so important. It's because my identity is found in God's presence, purpose, and priorities. Like who I really am in Christ is found in his presence, in his purpose, and in his priorities. It gives us an opportunity to have real, meaningful relationship with Jesus. In my prayer, the first time I preached this message in today, is that we would just begin to see how much God really loves us and cares for us and values us. And I pray that we would see that because it's love, not the law, that will change your obsessions. Have you ever eaten so much you got mad at yourself? I mean, you just think like, golly, that, that was foolish. You know, feeling bad about it won't stop you from doing it again. But some of you have gotten to a place where it's like you, you, you just, you don't do that anymore. And I bet if you began to peel back the layers of the onion and unpack how you got yourself to a place where you don't do that anymore, what you would find is that you began to find your identity and value yourself and love yourself enough to say, I don't want to live that way anymore. It wasn't because you felt really guilty in one moment. It was because you found a new relationship, a new identity you found a new presence, a new purpose, and 
As a result, new priorities came about in your life. That's the identity that God really wants us to have. He wants us to have an identity rooted in the power of his presence, in his purpose, and in his priorities. He wants us to see ourselves as Christ sees us. He wants us to know that we are sufficient not because of what we can do ever, only because of what Christ did on that cross. And what happens as you begin to step into that real relationship in his presence and in his purpose is your priorities really do shift. They really do change because relationship always changes your priorities. I remember when Kristen and I very first started dating, I was, you know, like a semi-pro flag football player. <laughs> Took it real serious. It was a group of guys that we, we played together for years. And I remember so vividly, like, I'm, I'm playing flag football at a church at this point in time, Okay. And playing flag football, yeah, pretty cool church, right? They had a flag football league. And I'm playing flag football at this church. And so Kristen's living in Little Rock, and I'm living in Tulsa. And we're dating, and we're trying to figure life out. And we know we're going to get married. We know all that stuff. And it's like, so we would alternate weekends, who would go where. And I'm like, well, hey, I need you to come here, like, for the next eight weekends. And she's like, why? I'm like, well, I got flag football. <laughs> now, remember, this is before I knew she wouldn't leave. Okay. So I had to have a conversation with my flag football coach about the fact that I'd be gone every other weekend and he was going to have to figure it out without me in that moment because my priorities shifted because I had a new relationship that I valued and I cherished and I cared for. And maybe you've known Jesus a really long time, but can I tell you, you can still renew your relationship with him. And shift and change your priorities. And as we step into our next step as a church, we need to be obsessed with God's presence. And we need to be obsessed with God's purpose. And we need to be obsessed with God's priorities. So here's what I would say to us. We have to value what Jesus values. Because you cannot step into real relationship without saying, I value what you value. I love what you love. And if Jesus is about mercy, then I'm about mercy. And if Jesus is about justice, then I'm about justice. And if Jesus is about caring, then sign me up because I value what he values. So here's where we are. So we wrap it all the way up. Here's our challenge. Let's stop wasting time. And let's focus on what really matters. Not all the ancillary obsessions. Let's focus and let's get obsessed with what really matters. God's purpose his presence, and his priorities. Let's stop wasting time. Let's really focus. I told you that my oldest son is obsessed with sports, and the truth is all three of my kids are playing basketball right now. And so one of the challenges is, is you want a basketball in their hands because that's how you get better. You have to actually do something to get better at it. Like, you can look at a basketball all you want, and you can think all the great thoughts about a basketball and how great of a ball handler you're going to be, but until you actually dribble the basketball, until it's in your hands, you can't get better. So I bought them one of these silent basketballs. Oh, man, they can dribble in the house. You don't, you don't, even, you don't even hear it. It's unbelievable. Like why would I buy a silent basketball? Because it's cold outside, and I don't want them wasting time. I want them to have a ball in their hands. 
I want them to have opportunity to use the gifts that God's developing in them all the time, not just some of the time. When I say, let's not waste time, let's focus, what I'm saying is we got to have a ball in our hand. We've got to actually be doing the things that God is calling us to do. We've got to thank Him and know Him and love Him and share Him and be the church and and do life with broken people and, and stand linked arm in arm fighting hell. Saying we're going to make heaven crowded. It's why we do what we do and it's why we exist. I want you to recognize that there's a spot for you on the team if you're not yet on it. We've got room for you, and we're making room for thousands more. Why? Because we're obsessed with God's presence and his purpose and his priorities. Very last thing. I could say all that. It's great. I want you to recognize this. To play, like to actually get the ball in your hands, to actually make a difference, we have to realize that God has a dream for us that is bigger than our dream for us. God's dream for your life, for your marriage, for your finances, for your kids, for your job is greater than your dream for all of those things. I heard a story. There's a pastor named Tommy Barnett. He's a legend in pastoral circles. He's had massive impact in the homeless world. He he built a church that is still giving life to this day. And he's... He's up there in age, and he's being interviewed at 70, 80-ish years of age, and somebody says, like, what's your biggest regret? Like, what a question for someone that accomplished. And you know what he said? I didn't dream big enough. I didn't dream big enough. You think, how is that possible? Look at all you accomplished for the kingdom of God. He says, I didn't dream big enough because he recognized that God's dream for his life, God's dream for the church he was pastoring, God's dream for his relationships is bigger than the dream that he has for himself. And so I want us to step out of this place and step into our next step encouraged, secure, knowing that God is with us and that God is for us and that his presence is available to us and that his purpose is fulfilled because Christ Jesus has already done it. And I want us to be obsessed with his priorities above all else. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you. We glorify you and we magnify you in this place. God, we want to be a place We want to be a place where people come and they have an experience that shows them how much you value them. We want to be a place where people come and they have an experience that lets them know that the God of the universe is still in control. We want to be a place where people can come and hear your truth preached. We want to be a place where people find new life in Christ. Lord, we lift you up and we magnify and we glorify you above all else. We give you all of the praise, all of the honor, all of the thanksgiving. And everybody in the house said a great big. Amen. Come on, give Jesus some praise.